Welcome. This is the Solar Disruption Theory Podcast, where our goal is to truly transform the industry and shake up the norm. Each month, we'll be sitting down with CEOs, activists, and other solar experts to see how far the rabbit hole goes. Entrepreneur, thought leader, and clean energy enthusiast Brett Bushy is our co-host and the CEO of Freedom Forever. With his help, Freedom Forever has become laser-focused on serving others and the planet. This caused the company to make the Inc. 500 list of fastest-growing companies two years in a row. With his solar knowledge and extensive broadcast experience at CNN, Fox, and AMC, we'll get a deep look into the world of solar and how we're disrupting its core. Today, we have the privilege to sit down with one of the most influential energy finance leaders in the modern age, Tongi Serra. Tongi began his career working at prestigious companies such as Merrill Lynch and Morgan Stanley. He eventually turned his investing and leadership expertise toward the solar energy field. Over the years, Tongi has impressively held president and CEO level roles with some of the top energy companies like Vivint, SolarCity, and Omni Energy. He's currently the president and chief investment officer at LonePal, and through his leadership, they've rapidly become the biggest solar lender in the nation. With so much knowledge on the industry and its financial evolution, we're on the edge of our seats and ready to take it all in. We have harnessed the power of the sun. What matters now is what we do with it. This is Solar Disruption Theory. Created by Freedom Forever. Hey everyone, I'm Sean McCready and with me as always is Freedom Forever CEO, Brett Bushy. We're lucky enough to be joined today by Tongi Sarah, the President and Chief Investment Officer at LonePal. Tongi, thanks so much for joining us. Great to be here, thank you. Good, good. So, uh, so how are you doing today? Everything going well in your world? Everything is going great in my world. Thank you. Yes. That's a beautiful thing. So I'm just going to kick this off really quick. Um, you know, I've done a lot of reading on you and, and I've got, you know, I've got a really good idea of who you are and where you come from. But, you know, to let our listeners know, you're you're from Wall Street. So tell us a little bit about the journey between, you know, from high profile corporate finance to solar thought leader and financial expert. Oh, wow. Those are, uh, thank you for, uh, for saying that. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I started my career on uh, Wall Street, as more specifically in the city in London, um, where I, I was an energy investment banker. Um, so I, I advise companies and corporates on buying and selling uh, energy assets, uh, mainly oil and gas, ironically enough. And in 2005, 2006, I moved to Singapore uh, and then ultimately worked in Hong Kong. Um, and in Hong Kong, I did a lot of work in China. And I, I spent a lot of time uh, trying to understand how, how to invest and where to invest in China. And one of the sectors at the time, uh, this was 07, 08, that, that started making increasing amount of sense was manufacturing of solar panels, which is experiencing massive growth. And so I did a lot of work on um, the underlying technology associated with manufacturing solar panels and wind turbines and, and inverters. And at the same time, um, I did a massive amount of work on climate change, like a massive, you know, three months full on, pretty much only focused on that. And I concluded that <clears throat> climate change was the only thing that mattered, uh, ultimately, and we had to solve that problem. And so uh, I made that conscious decision around, I'm going to dedicate the rest of my career um, to addressing climate change. And so it was a very, very deliberate decision based on just a lot of work I did around climate change. And so I took the view that the prices of solar panels were going to collapse between 2010 and 2020. And so the best businesses to be in were businesses that benefited from that collapse in pricing. And so by definition, those were businesses that bought solar panels um, and uh, installed them. And so I moved to the US, I moved to San Francisco, and I, I had a strong view around how do I invest capital around that investment thesis of solar panels collapsing in pricing? So I was pretty good at raising money. Uh, I was pretty good at investing money. And so we, we figured out how to start Vivint Solar. And so we founded Vivint Solar uh, on that basis. Um, we had the largest tax equity fund at the time. And um, we took that business from nothing to the second largest installer in the country pretty quickly with you know, one of the greatest sales forces of all time. And then... Uh, uh, we saw that business and, and that went well, and I joined Solar City, where I was the um, the COO, and so I was responsible for all of operations and, and uh, building out 
Solar City into a, you know, a business install close to gigawatts solar per year. Um, that was exciting. And then we saw that as Tesla. And then we uh, um, spent a lot of time thinking about you know, next-gen financing and how, how, to, uh, how to continue serving the market. Um, and that's when we, uh, we collectively came up with the concept of Lone Pal. Okay, and you mentioned continually serving the market. How do you see the like solar financing evolving over the next five years? Yeah, it's a great question. So we think that increasingly solar will be just done on roofs, and so therefore, whether you're doing solar, whether you're doing you're doing solar, and then ultimately you're going to be retrofitting and putting in um, whether it's an HVAC, whether it's artificial turf, whether it's a boiler, um, things that help your house become increasingly environmentally conscious. And so our one big perspective is I think we'll be increasingly bundling uh, things into the financing. Batteries, obviously, we do for a while. We think that climate change is an everyone problem. And so everyone has the right to participate in this. And so we're expanding uh, FICO bands and and territory, geography, um, types of homes, and really make it available for as many people as possible that, that want solar. And then lastly, with the ITC stepping away, what really matters for people ultimately is what the monthly nut is here. Um, and so we're really working hard around extending tenors. And so whether it's a 25-year, a 30-year tenor, um, and really pushing to reduce that monthly rate. And, and as you know, ultimately, we believe that um, the right place for a an attribute of the home, and, and fundamentally solar is an attribute of the home, really should live in the mortgage uh, which is ultimately the best place for a homeowner to finance a, uh, their home in a, in, a, in, a, in a conforming mortgage. Right. And I want to go back. You had mentioned, so with, with climate change, you said this is an everyone problem. What do you think it would take for solar to become more prevalent in non-solar states? Um, time. Um, it's happening. Like, don't kid yourself. It's one of those things where <clears throat> this, this, this is an everyone problem. Everybody knows about it. And... As ever, right? I mean, whether it's um, solar or electric cars, I mean, I always ask the question, which is, if you take your Uber or your Lyft, would you pay an extra 10, 15% to have an electric car? And the answer is always yes, unequivocally, in all states, regardless of, 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 uh, of, of you know, geography. Um, and similarly, if the question becomes, hey, would you rather pay more or less for clean power? Um, the answer is always, uh, yeah, I'd obviously pay the more, you know, on balance, pay the same or a little bit more uh, to have solar clean energy. So I think it's a question of awareness. It's a question of time. Most people that don't have solar, um, if they can have it, if they live in the right home, it's because they're not aware of it. They're not aware how easy it is. And so I think, you know, companies like Freedom are doing an extraordinary job. One, ra- raising the awareness. And secondly, uh, continuing to find these opportunities for homeowners, and regardless of the state in which they're in, um, to develop, to put on their homes. For me, it's a matter of time. Like the tide has turned. If you had asked me five or six years ago, I would have said, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, for me now, it's time. It, it's gravity. It's happening. Um, everyone will have solar. Right. And so time, you know, that's uh, obviously that's going to take, it is going to take time. Um, and, you know, there is the climate change piece. From an economic standpoint, what do you think is keeping homeowners from switching to solar if they haven't already? Awareness. Look, I mean, if you if you have a, a 25-year, you know, pick a number, 4%, 4.5% rate, uh, loan um, and you take tax credit, that's a 16, 17 cents per kilowatt hour uh, price of power. So, and, and there's no escalator by definition. It's a flat 20 year payments. That is competitive practically everywhere in the US. Again, if you take a 20 year view of the price of power, Oklahoma, even where you're seeing 10, 12 cents, you know, that, that grows two to 3% plus. And so over a 20 year period, the 16 cents beats that. But then, and this is the key insight, and I, this is really, really important to understand, which is when you refinance solar into your mortgage and it becomes not a 25-year, but a 30-year loan, and your, your uh, interest is tax-deductible because it's part of your primary mortgage, um, that 16, 17 cents per kilowatt hour becomes 10 to 11 cents. And so right now, as of today, if you buy solar and refinance your mortgage, you are buying power at 10, 11 cents a kilowatt hour. That works and it's competitive everywhere in the country. 
think it's really important to recognize that it is possible to do so today. Okay. Um, and so this, this next question, it, this is something I know Brett's really passionate about. So I know he's going to chime in on this, but, um, so, you know, there's, there's the awareness piece, which, you know, freedom forever does a really good job of educating so that people know what solar is, how it works, how they, how accessible it is to them. Uh, and I know the time piece that you're talking about, it's going to take time. What are some big challenges that you think the solar industry is facing today? Recruiting, recruiting is hard. I mean, I think, you know, Brent and I talk about it all the time. Like, I think the um, one is you've got to find extraordinary people that are willing to sell, that want to sell, that understand the product. It's a complex product. You're in the home, so you have a lot of empathy and respect for, for homeowners. That, that's a hard, hard skill to have. Um, it's a sophisticated product, you know, kilowatt hours, cents, dollars, monthly bills. I mean, all utilities, net metering, tax credits. These are all very sophisticated, complex um, uh, concepts that, you know, candidly are hard. And so you need to have extraordinary professionals um, that have the empathy to be able to connect with homeowners at the same time, sophistication um, to, um, to have these complicated conversations. And so I think... People in solar are extraordinary, and the caliber of people is, 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 is incredibly high. Um, and then on the upside, look, you're dealing with power on a roof, so at a height, in someone's home. I mean, these are installers, solar are extraordinary people. Um, and what they do is extraordinary. And there's only so many people that are that extraordinary that can do this. Gotcha. Yeah, and Tongi, um, one of the things I would love to do is just kind of sit and I'm pumped to have you on this pod, podcast because um, a lot of people don't know this, but I've only been in the industry for four years. And uh, I didn't jump into it until the summer of 2015. And one of the things I try to do as always is understand the history of solar and how we got to that point. So I know you were there for the birth of Vivint Solar as it came out of Vivint Smart Home. But I'd love for you to kind of paint a picture for somebody like myself that has no idea of how how it looked in 2011 when you guys were putting together and starting and launching Vivint Solar. Yeah, it's fascinating. So this was so you, you, you get Lynn Yurick also at Sunrun and, and, and Matt Kramer and uh, um, Ed Fenster and, and Hayes. I mean, those are the, you know, the, the original gangsters. And um, Back in the day, solar was, and Linden, Linden and Ryan, and P-Rive, obviously. Um, back in the day, you had, it's interesting, right? You had, um, you've always had two groups of people that have installed solar since, since the 80s. You've had the, um, and I have a lot of respect for everyone, but you've, you had people that were Northern California um, uh, agricultural types um, that wanted to be off the grid, um, you know, hippie communes, that type of stuff. Um, phenomenal people saw climate change early and were, were installing soap. You also had the uh, prepper type community um, who wanted to be fully independent from the government. Right. So you had those two groups of people um, that were paying cash, literally cash, uh, for electricians to install these solar panels made in Germany. It was kind of an underground, um, um, you know, super niche community. And you had these cadets with these two very different groups of people connecting around, hey, let's, let's, let's do solar. It was, a, you know, pretty, pretty interesting times. And then um, in California specifically, um, you had um, Solar City and Sunrun um, that got started uh, uh, with some venture capital money, and the idea was, hey, this is a you know a twenty year industry. It's a transformational shift. Um, how do we um, how do we help homeowners go solar? And so, at the beginning, it was all cash sales, and then this tax equity came about, and it was really complex to get these tax equity funds together. But it was done on the back of legislation that was originally built um, for low-income housing um, or for uh, monuments, restoration. And so you had this complicated part of the tax code that was applied to solar um, and allowed for the first tax equity funds. And then, you know, George Bush came in and he created the cash grant. And so that allowed for um, either homeowners or uh, corporates to take the tax credit as the cash credit up front. And so that really kickstarted the industry around 2010, 2011. And so then you had um, 
at the time, you had very few installers that, very few people as, as, as professionals, people that knew how to install solar. And so the constraint in the industry really was around the number of people that understood how to put solar on a roof. But that was by far the greatest constraint, which is why you saw the rise of Solar City as a, and Vivint Solar as vertically integrated businesses that had their own training, that had their own recruitment engines, uh, and then suddenly followed through and um, uh, put their own trucks and, and, and create their own install, install forces. Um, then the industry moved away from that and there were enough qualified people, enough awareness that um, the industry started to break up and you've had a number of phenomenal sales engines that were, that were selling and a number that broke off from these big corporates. And then you had a number of phenomenal uh, install companies that are, um, that are installing beautiful systems. And so, that, so we're, we're transitioning, really interesting in my mind as an industry to, um, in my mind, phase three, which is the appearance of you know, phenomenal companies such as yourself um, that, are, um, that are, I think are going to do phenomenally well over the next decade. Um, the one thing that I want to unpack a little bit more is that Vivint is though today their primary sales funnel is door to door. And my guess is because it came from Vivint Smart Home, that was the case, you know, the first couple years that you were there. So what were the positives and negatives of dealing with a primary sales funnel that's door to door? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so I, I'm totally biased. I love door to door. Uh, I think it is a, it, you know, the, the people that do it are extraordinary. Uh, it takes extraordinary talent to be a door to door sales professional. Um, and um, uh, uh, it's, just, it's just a, it's a, it's a beautiful, um, people that do it well are incredibly ethical, are incredibly empathetic, and, and are really, really successful professionals. Um, so I have a lot of respect for, for, the, for the craft. Um, Vivid candidly is extraordinary at the door to door piece, the culture, the training, um, everything that goes around it. It's a, it's a very sophisticated operation. They're not, um, nothing's random about their success. And uh, it, I think for solar specifically, it's a beautiful channel in the sense that it has two great attributes. One is it raises awareness in a non awareness way, in the sense that when you're knocking on a neighborhood, you're, you're, you're evangelizing, you're creating awareness uh, out of nothing. And then the other thing about solar is that if your neighbors get it, you're, you, there's a higher chance for you to get it. And so that's where the power of door-to-door comes in around, hey, have you seen the system? Um, let, let's have that conversation. And from an operational perspective, if you can knock in a given area, which is reasonably close to your warehouse, it really reduces drive times for your crews. And that is a massive benefit um, operationally versus having people in an hour north, an hour south, an hour east. If you can have everyone within a 20 minute drive of your warehouse, you have massive productivity. And so in my mind, like the best solar is when you've got a really sophisticated sales channel that is targeting a given area. And then the ops group, you know, as a sophisticated um, support of that sales team um, and, and the two working hand in hand, it's a beautiful symbiotic relationship. This sounded like a lot of positives and we have really, I have been unpacking and learning as much as I can about door to door, um, especially in the last couple of years. But um, you talked about a lot of the positives. What are some of the negatives or at least one negative? Yeah. So the, the, um, the, the negative is um, there's a um, you, you, culture really matters. And so I, I think culture is the single greatest thing in an organization. So if you have a phenomenal culture, good things translate. If for some reason or another you have a culture that is unhelpful, and, and I don't think this happens, but if you have a culture that's deceptive or a culture that's around um, doing things poorly, by definition, the leadership of door-to-door um, translates very quickly into, into the, the reps that work with them. And so if you have groups uh, of door-to-door teams that, that do stuff that go sideways with your brand, that can go sideways really fast. And, and, and there's a lot of volume in those channels. And so that entire neighborhood can be polluted by a bad experience. And so, you know, one negative is, and I, again, I, I don't think this happens, and I have a lot of respect for, for, for door-to-door professionals, but as a, um, as a partner of a door-to-door organization, you've got to make sure you partner with people that you really would want in your home. 
No, that is that is great. Um, in terms of that transition, when you then left uh, Vivint Solar and then you went over and you ultimately became uh, the president and COO of Solar City. Um, I know you saw tremendous growth on the Vivint side, but it paled in comparison to what you oversaw for the years you were at Solar City. So tell us a little bit about that because I'm fascinated when we had lunch at SPI. I mean, I just I, I just can't get enough of these stories and how you guys were able to handle this growth. We are going through amazing hyper growth right now. And I've just learned so much in the hours that I've spent since you've been down here in Temecula and Utah. But, you know, what are the things you can share with the listeners to really get a feel of how it was? And talk about the gravity of the growth, because it's stunning what you guys were able to do in two years. Yeah, um, thank you for, for the compliment. Um, look, our, our perspective was at the time, solar panels were at, when I, we first started, when I was first in Solar City, I think there were 80, 90 cents a watt. And so uh, at 80, 90 cents a watt um, for panels, solar has a hard time working super candidly. Um, you, you can't get to utility scale solar, the numbers just don't work. Um, commercial doesn't work. And so, uh, 80, 90 cents a watt for panels, solar is a niche industry. And so we, we, we really had a, we were, you know, climate change is, is, is more than, it's a it's, it's really strong mission. And so we took the view that we had to grow um, to be able to, redu- to reduce the cost of panels. And so total capacity for panel manufacturing was um, 45, 40, 45 gigawatts of solar total. And so when we got to a gigawatt of solar, um, we were buying 2% of global modules. Um, and so when you're buying 2% of global modules, companies like Inui, like Trina, uh, like Canyon Solar, high, high quality companies, um, build factories for you. Um, and so that when they build high quality factories, uh, and new factories uh, at these volumes, it lowers costs for the entire industry. And so I think the proudest achievement is that I think we participated in taking solar panel costs from, you know, 70, 80, 90 cents when we first were there um, to, you know, the 30s that they are today, excluding tariffs. And so that, I think, makes a big deal because once you're at 30 cent tariffs, you're enabling utility scale solar. um, And once you've enabled utility scale solar, it's a matter of time before the entire U.S. grid goes from partly fossil fuel to completely all fossil fuel. And so that's a big deal. So just scaling the business to enable a reduction in cost structures was, it was a big deal. The other thing we did is we trained 10,000 solar installers and 7,000 sales professionals with what we think, you know, we had a fair bit of resources. And so we think we trained people in a way that allowed them to then go on and either make their own businesses. And, and there's, a, there's lots of Solar City alumni that are you know, running successfully CEOs of their own businesses or people that wanted to join quality organizations. You know, I, I know Brian Eglizer joined Freedom and, and you know, Brian is, is, is one of these you know, extraordinary, beyond extraordinary professionals. Um, and so it allowed people to join in very senior roles, organizations such as yourselves, really you know, um, creating the industry. And, and that's something we're very, very proud of. So would you consider that the proudest accomplishment? Because, um, and then give some people some context. When you first got to Solar City, how many installs a month were they doing nationally? Um, we were doing 12, 1500 installs nationally. And then, uh, and then, and then what, what, what was it? And give us kind of the growth over the next 12, 24 months until you left. Um, we got to 17,000 installs. The month I left, we were doing 17,000 installs that month. Um, high quality, you know, 60 day sale to install timelines, um, strong safety track records are really not cutting corners. Um, West coast, East coast, Arizona, um, uh, Nevada. So really opening new markets, Texas. Um, and so we, we, we grew not quite you know, 15, 10, 12 X, um, over the course of those three years, um, you know, massive scale. We went from I think 10 warehouses when I got there, we, we had north of 60 when I left, really opening two, three warehouses a month, new crews, new trucks. Uh, at one point, we had the lot, we were the fastest growing fleet in the U.S. Uh, we're buying every single 110% of box truck production in the U.S. 
almost every, the entire, I forgot the name of the Nissan that we, we use for site surveys, but buying uh, or leasing um, every uh, uh, Nissan available. Um, and so really having a, a scale impact on, on, on the industry. Yeah, and I, I, the reason I want you to bring that up is because I think a lot of people love to rewrite history, and I see criticism that Solar City, after it was bought by Tesla, their volume has went down, and they look at that and they point to a, as a failure of one of the large companies being able to scale, and it's just not the case. And I know that, but so many people have that opinion. How do you address when somebody brings that up? Well, you know, we're, as I said, so first of all, uh, Ego doesn't drive me, um, and so the way I look at it is, hey, congratulations, inverters are at 15 cents and you've got pounds at 40 cents, you know, you're welcome. Um, and so that, I would I, start from that premise. Um, and then ultimately, um, I think the, you know, the, the Tesla Solar City is a, is a classic case of um, a merger uh, gone wrong. And so mergers, uh, most of the time, if you look at, you know, and that, I, if you look at sort of literature of mergers and, and M&A, uh, oftentimes they don't go well. I mean, whether it's uh, Google buying Motorola's phone business or, or you know, the list goes on and on, um, things don't go well. And so I think clearly, you know, there's no debate that the volume for Tesla went down, um, but there's no debate that when we sold Solar City, um, the business was cash flow positive in Q1. It's in the 10Q that was published. Um, so that's, you know, that's what the accounting says. And uh, the business was growing and we were doing 17,000 installs that month. And those are your unequivocal facts. And, and the cost structure, I forgot the exact cost structure, but I know, you know uh, people like Nathan Jarrell in Arizona were installing at $1.68 a watt uh, all in. Um, you know, on the East Coast, we were under $2 a watt. And this was back in 2011. And so you know, uh, people like Jim Cahill was now at Sunrun, under a dollar, uh, under a dollar, you know, dollar seventy in Southern California, and the list goes on and on. And so, like extraordinary, extraordinary achievements. Um, I think anyone in solar would recognize that if you're doing seventeen thousand installs under three bucks a watt cost structure, including sales, you're doing something right. Amazing. No one appreciates it more than me that's going through, and we're not at that size yet, but we have very... Hey, there. I, I, I am rooting for you. I, I sure you know, Brad, every morning I wake up, there's lots of people I, I think of, you're one of them, and uh, we're rooting for you. I, I love that. Thank you so much. And um, what about like long tail versus the smaller regional installers? Um, most people will tell you based on data that the long tail installers are winning today. I personally, you know how I feel and I disagree with that, but what are your thoughts on the difference between the two? Can both survive? Is one going to be dominant? Because when I got into this industry, all everyone talked about was the large installers dominating the long tail and now it's reversed itself three or four years later. Yeah, I, mean, I, th- I think that you're, that was kind of, you know, introduction around, hey, this is part three of the industry in my mind. So for, for me, the hardest part you need, and I want to be sort of, you know, at the same time, very humble. And at the same time, you know, recognize you and, and, and people like, you know, of your caliber, which is scaling these solar businesses is incredibly hard. Like, let's just recognize it. Like people like yourself that have done it, like, it is incredibly hard to scale these solar businesses. You've got regulatory issues, interest rates issues, net metering, and just the number of stuff that goes on. It's just, it's just, it's a hard business to scale. And so, um, I think the the scale of the businesses, in my mind, in many ways, is a function of the leadership. And so, I don't buy the long tail versus big argument. I buy the fact that I think the industry is growing. 10, 15%. And then within that industry, you've got extraordinary executives, you know, yourself, Lynn, uh, I I could go on and on, of people that are scaling their businesses responsibly, successfully, profitably. And and, and those leaders are going to scale. And there's no question in my mind, they will scale and they they will do really well. In parallel, I think the home improvement space generally uh, will also do well. And you've got a number of incredibly talented professionals, electricians, plumbers, you name it, that don't necessarily want to scale a big business, don't 
want from a leadership perspective to have 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 employees. Um, and so they're going to do well in their communities. And so, uh, and, and, and what matters in my mind is the industry will grow. And then you'll have as many executives as possible, you know, founders, owners like yourself that, that will run big businesses. And then you'll have the long tail of extraordinary uh, um, individual professionals and, 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 and and, and home improvement firms that uh, will will do well. And I think the balance becomes if more people like yourself emerge, you'll have more big companies. Uh, if people like yourself don't emerge, you'll have a number of small, small companies out there. What is one thing that you would do differently? You've had a chance to reflect over your time at Solar City, but what is the one thing that you would have done differently during that hyper growth phase? Um, I would have taken control of uh, uh, the finance earlier. So I took, I took control of the finance part of the business uh, towards the end of my tenure there last, last few months. I would have taken control of that earlier. Um, best Elon Musk story? Uh, he, I mean, he is. He's an extraordinary individual. Um, he... I don't know where to start. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't have one off the top of my head that, that that's worth uh, for for this one. You're gonna give me a bit of warning. No, I, I know it's one of those things that you you know he you can read articles about Tesla and people love the Tesla car and the brand, but you have two schools of thought. You know, one is he is the most brilliant business visionary of our time and there's other people that think he's a fraud and you look at both of those you have a keen insight into working with him not on a daily basis but you had that opportunity in that window into his soul in so many words and i'd like i'd love to be able to hear that because you literally have the counter arguments that are out there and some of the people are long the stock and some people are short the stock i get it but i'd love to get your more feedback on that the key comment i would make is that i think you've got to separate valuation of a stock from the business and from uh, the individual. And so you can think the stock is overvalued, undervalued. um, And at the same time, uh, you you can think the stock is overvalued, um, but that the company is a good company, right? Those two things are separate. Um, You know, Microsoft is worth whatever it is, $500 billion. If it were, it's a great company. If it was worth $10 trillion, it would probably be overvalued, but it would still be a great company. And so I think the, the argument that conflates the stock valuation of the company is, a, is, is, is just not right. And so I have no strong opinion on Tesla stock. So, so part that part of the, com- of the conversation. Um, the company itself, electric cars, market share is, is as good as it gets. And so if you believe electric cars are going to do well, that's the company, and, and I think you know that, that that's a, another separate conversation. Elon himself. I mean, look, what I'll say is that he's a catalyst. Like, there's, regardless of what you think of, of, of the gentleman, he's a catalyst and has been a catalyst, and is an advocate for climate change. And uh, whether it's electric cars, whether it's solar, he is pushing and pushing Twitter and, and all of the above and, and noise. Um, and and that I think is really hard to criticize. Like, it's really hard to say. Um, that pushing the climate change cause aggressively is a negative. And so regardless of what you think of the valuation, regardless of what you think of the company, um, he is clearly a catalyst and, and at the very least will go down in history as that. Awesome stuff. Um, what did you, did you learn any leadership, um, you know, what leadership qualities did you learn from people like Lyndon Rive, who you served under as the chief operating officer and president? You know, I love a lot of people. He gets overshadowed by Elon. He's Elon's cousin, but, you know, we know he was the driving force behind Solar City. And I love to get a little insight because, I mean, you have been able to be in the same room with three titans of this industry. And, you know, we talk about, you know, Elon, we talk about Lyndon, also Todd Peterson, who started Vivint Smart Home. And I'd love to kind of, you know, get your thoughts on Lyndon first and then a little on Todd. 
Um, sure, happy to. Uh, look, Linden, Linden started Solar City from scratch. And I, I, in my mind, there's a special place uh, in heaven for people that start something from scratch. Like starting from scratch is hard. And from scratch, like, you know, new company, new incorporation, zero revenue, zero nothing, zero employees. Um, and you create something. And that, I think, is special. Like that, I think, is really hard not to agree that that is a really, really special thing. And so the, Linden is a creator. Linden is able to, from nothing, create something. And that is something that is really, really special and you should be highly, highly praised for. Todd Peterson. Todd is the single greatest door-to-door recruit in the history of mankind. Um, there is no debate that he is. Uh, he has invented the concept of recruiting and made recruiting an art. And, and uh, I think everybody that has worked or been around Vivin has learned from that. All right. Let's talk about Lone Pal because, you know, uh, we get a lot of accolades for our growth and being in the Inc. 500 for the last couple of years. But nothing that pales to what you've done. You talk about starting something from scratch. And in under two years, if I believe, you become the number one residential lender in the country passing Mosaic. And um, it's so amazing what you guys have done. And, you know, I love and having the conversation, um, you know, you deserve so much praise. So does Hayes. Uh, but tell us a little bit about that ride over the last couple of years with Lone Pal. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a, just to be explicit, so I, I didn't create Lone Pal from scratch, right? Lone Pal um, was a business that uh, Hayes created uh, a while ago. It was a mortgage business with his co-founders, Matt Dawson and Jason Walker, who are extraordinary uh, professionals. They're still with the company today. Um, um, so I, and, and so they, they're, they're the founders of the business. and, and they, they, they literally create something from scratch. So they, they deserve all the credit there. Um, Lompal was a mortgage uh, refinancing business. And so, you know, for people that know that a little bit, it's a really hard business to be in. It's a very compliance intensive, um, a lot of work around uh, licensing and and responsible lending. And so it's a a very compliance-based culture and to refinance mortgages. And so our our big insight was that the loan, uh, the solar asset, really belongs in the home. And so whether it's the garage door or whether it's the uh, granite countertops or whether it's the uh, the boilers, those things are part of the home. And so if they're part of the home, at some point, they will be financed into the mortgage. Now, the mortgage is a very you know, painful experience to go through and oh, with low power, less so, but, but you know, nevertheless, you know, it's W-2s and divorce decrees and paperwork, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's a timely intensive process. And so our view was that back to solar, right, which is solar is a complex sale. It takes a lot of art, a lot of explanation, a lot of education. And so we did not want to mix the two. But our view was that over time, when the homeowner is relaxed, you know, four, five, six months, two years, three years down the road, the homeowner will look up, take a breath and say, hey, I love my solar, but I'm paying a loan for it. I'm also paying a mortgage. Why don't I combine everything together into one payment that I pay for my home? It's my home. My home has everything I could possibly want. It's my castle. Um, I want one payment for it. And so we've created a business that's pretty special. It allows for phenomenal companies such as yourself to benefit from what we think is best-in-class financing at the loan level, create a really seamless experience for homeowners, really seamless experience for sales reps, hopefully a great experience for accounting and your teams that that deal with the back office. And then super chill, super relaxed, six months, a year, whenever the homeowner is comfortable, whenever it's the right time in their lives, we come back and we do, hey, one more thing. Right now you're paying 4.5% for 20-year paper. What if we made that? 30 year and made it tax deductible, you'd save more money. And so, as I said, your, your power bill de facto goes from 16 to 11 cents a kilowatt hour. Um, and by the way, you want, if you want to keep the tax credit, you can. And so that's a, that's the, you know, the, the Steve Jobs one more thing, which we like to keep to the very, very end. And it's a, um, you know, 
Love freedom forever. She has a sale and install experience. Love the loan pal financing. And it's that cherry on the cake in the back end. It says, oh, wow, these guys really take care of me in the back end. And, and, and homeowners then. And I think, I think it, it, hopefully, and that's our, that's our intent, it uh, feeds a positive cycle for referrals for freedom forever, where positive um, experiences 18 months later, um, have, have a, a, a cycle of telling their friends about, oh my God, uh, guess what Lone Bound did for me? And, and it was installed with Freedom Forever. And so it creates an opportunity for, for conversation on solar and, and raises awareness, which is what we want. What is the future of solar, PPA or lease? Or do you see it changing? We obviously know that in the early days of Solar City and Vivint and both Sunrun are predominantly PPA companies, both are around 85% PPA and lease, 15% purchase. What is your take on that? What is the future? What does the home buyer want going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good question. And the, the um, for me, I don't know, it's a short answer. Um, what I'll tell you is that, so for me, the best proxy of the home is the car. And, you know, somewhat of a large asset, um, somewhat important uh, purchase for, for someone. And so in the car world, you have people that want to own the car, right? You, you, you go at the lot, you buy a car and you negotiate financing with the, the car dealership and, and, and you walk off the lot with your car for two sixty nine dollars a month or whatever it is. You also have people that want to lease cars. And you have people that want to uh, not care maintenance and, and, and want to lease car over time. You've got people that want to Uber and literally pay per trick, right? Pay per every, every time you get in the car, you, you pay the 10 bucks to Uber and, and off you go. You have people that um, want to rent a car once in a while when they need it. And, and I think that's a good, good analogy in my mind for, for solar, which is I think you'll have people that want to rent it. You know, whether it's from Tesla on a monthly basis, you'll have people that say, no, it's my castle. I want to own it and I'll pay for it up front in cash. People that say, hey, it's my castle, but I can't pay for it in cash. So therefore, I'll get a loan for it. And people that say, no, I, I don't want to take care of a complicated system. I, I want someone else to do the maintenance and I'll pay a little bit more, but I'll pay for, on a PPA basis. And I think in my mind, the key here is as an industry, having a lot of respect and compassion um, for the homeowners, um, it's a difficult choice. And my, like the, the key insight I would say is that I think it is important for homeowners to be presented with choices and not guided towards something that, you know, the sales professional makes a marginally different commission on. Like, I think if we can make it as much as possible as, hey, we agree you want to go solar for all the right reasons. Now let's figure out what's the right option is for you. I think that's how the industry wins. I want to switch gears and talk about Give Power a little bit. And uh, I know you and and I know how passionate Hayes is about it. And it's very, um, in my business career, it's hard to find inspiration with other people that you work with. And, you know, I've been so inspired by Hayes and Michelle on Give Power. I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about this because i have been in the industry for over three years. I had no idea it even existed. We were contemplating creating our own 5013C. We're a mission-oriented company, and we we're trying to figure out ways to not only make a difference by installing solar panels, but also make a difference by taking some of the profits that we have and investing it into people that are less fortunate. And I was shocked to know that Give Power even existed. So I'd love for you to share with some of the listeners a little bit more about Give Power. Yeah, and, and, and you're, you're a good man, Brett. That's why we get along so well. Um, I, I agree. Look, I think people in solar, there's, there's a reason they're in solar. I think we've all acknowledged it's hard. Um, uh, it, you know, it's a hard business to win in. Um, and so if you're in solar, you're doing it for more than just the money. It's not just the job. It, there's there's a, a fundamental core to the mission that, that you're, you're waking up every morning and, and making it happen. And so um, we're that way. And so we, we, we passionately care about um, uh, allowing and empowering everyone. And when I say climate change for everyone, I, I really mean it. I think climate change is an everyone problem whether you're you know, living in Phoenix or whether you're living in Mombasa, I was like, it'll affect you. And so we want to make sure that um, we allocate time and capital to, um, to that. And so Give Power is a not-for-profit foundation 
where for every loan that we do, um, we give uh, dollars that allow uh, the creation of um, a solar microgrid, typically with a desalination unit um, or, or a mill or something or light or something that's useful for the community in an, in an area of the world that's a little bit more remote. Um, you know, whether it's Kyunga in Kenya, Haiti, um, we're, we're building these, uh, these, 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 these microgrids, literally these microgrids, these power plants, these, these, these utilities for providing power and water in, in places that if, you know, currently have a lesser alternatives. We care. We know our partners care. And thank you for caring, Brad. And we, we, we want to share this. And, and not only with our install partners, but as well as um, with, our, with our banks. And so uh, next month, I'm going to Nepal with you know, uh, some of my favorite banks, uh, all you know, solid Wall Street types. And we're, we're going to go build a microgrid in Nepal, in a village by the Annapurna. Uh, it's going to take us a week to do so. But that, you know, ultimately, I, I want to associate myself with people who care and want to do the right thing at all times. Um, and I think this is one where um, you can, you know, people can differentiate themselves that way. And so would love to you, for you, Brett, to come on a track with us um, and, and you know, bring some of your, your extra, extraordinary professionals because um, I think it will, it will transform your life. And the, well, we've reached a point where in the Western society, we have everything. Um, and so um, you want to spend, I want to spend my time doing something meaningful when I can. It, it's amazing. And uh, what is the, the URL? Is it givepower.org? That's right. All right. Uh, I, I can tell you, it's so inspiring. I went and watched a two-minute video, and it brought me to tears. And I'm not the most emotional guy. So for that to happen, um, just it's incredibly fulfilling. And I always, you know, this is, I think, my 25th investment um, in different companies over the last 20-plus years. And I have never woken up every morning and felt as fulfilled as I am in this industry. And it's pretty exciting. But one of the things that does irritate me a little bit about it is sometimes when you go out there and you talk to somebody and you say you're in the solar industry, there's somewhat of a negative connotation that's out there. And um, I've only been in it for four years, so I'm starting to grasp and understand it. Um, So I'd love to know first, where did that come from? So um, I know I think it has to do with... um, a lack of morals, maybe an ethics of a small minority of the people in this industry. But to me, that is frustrating. And so for listeners that are in this business, you should be so proud of what you do. You should be looked at with reverence because there is not another thing you're going to do in your life where you can save the world, but also save people money. My wife's friend decided to go solar couple months ago, we saved her about $150 a month. So it was a pretty big bill, about a $500 bill. And, you know, we get involved in the day-to-day grind and we forget the impact that we're making on people's lives. Most people do not have a lot of savings in their bank. And that $150 a month changed her life and her family's life. And we get to do that on a daily basis. And I think Sometimes we get so wrapped up in the negative connotation that surrounds us. How do we change that? How do we have everyone, when you say you're in solar, you're looked at it in reverence, almost like a teacher, all right, or a doctor. That is how amazing our industry is. I agree. I agree, Brett. I mean, look, I I still start this conversation by saying, hey, if you're an installer in solar and you're getting on the roof, you're carrying heavy panels up. Uh, the roof is steep. It's hot in Arizona. It's cold on the East Coast. You're a hero. And I think that's really, really important knowledge. Um, similarly, if you're a sales professional, you're educating people. You're bringing the gift uh, of solar to someone's home. Um, you're teaching people about tax credit. You're teaching people about net metering. You're teaching people about their energy consumption. Like, you're special. And I think, I think for me, like, that's the, the key here is, uh, one, um, acknowledging that um, 
it's really, really important. And, you know, things like, in my mind, things that matter is when I see a solar van, I say, hello, I just do. Uh, makes me happy. So that, that, I think, matters a lot. And then the other piece in my mind that's really important is that we have to be our own self-police. And um, our industry is too important. Like, we have to win. It is not a choice. In many industries, you know, social media or whatever, the worst case scenario is teenage girls won't get addicted to some random new app. That's the worst case scenario if you don't do your job. In our industry, if we fail, um, we fail mankind. There is no tomorrow. And so we cannot fail. And so it's really important as we think about it to police the industry ruthlessly for bad actors and call them out. Things like you know, an 8% escalator on a sales proposal. We all know there's not an 8% escalator in sales proposal. It shouldn't be. And so, um, or, or, or things like not tying off on a roof or, or all of the sort of, every, you know, it's all, the, all, all the sort of silly little things that solo professionals know that they should be doing. And so really important for the 99.9999% of people in this industry that are extraordinary, extraordinary ethically, extraordinary professionals, to police and self-police ruthlessly. And Tongi, I appreciate it. I know I've went over the allotted time. I probably could go for another two hours. Uh, but I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for coming on the podcast and sharing some of your story. I mean, there's literally, I'm not sure if there's anyone that has the diverse experience that went through and has made more of an impact on our industry than yourself. And also Hayes too. Hayes, um, for those of you who don't know him, is amazing, visionary. Um, he's so inspiring and he's also a pretty good rapper, I've heard. <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think I, I, there's you know, Darren Van Hoff, a U.S. bank. I mean, there's, there's a number of, like, I, I, I think we will defeat climate change. Like, let, me, let me be really clear. I think we will win. Um, and when we will win, there will be names of streets. There will be statues of, of, the, of the people that contributed to it. Um, you will have one for sure, right? I mean, you know, people like yourself that are building and growing companies and owning companies are in, in, in this space and, and having an impact will for sure have streets named after them. Um, and then uh, we have to keep going here. It's really, really important. Thank you so Agreed. much. I agree. Amen to that. Absolutely. Thank you, Brian. Thank you so much, Tongi, and we know your time is valuable. Thank you so much for all you've done for the industry, and, and we look forward to talking to you again. Uh, for anybody out there listening, for information on Tongi and LonePal, head over to LonePal.com. To learn more about Give Power and all of their amazing humanitarian efforts, check out GivePower.org. It's a great organization. And for everything you need to know about Freedom Forever and the Solar Disruption Theory podcast, visit SolarDisruptionTheory.com. Also, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, help us share this podcast with the world. On behalf of Brett, Tongi, and myself, thanks for listening to the Solar Disruption Theory Podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. Solar Disruption Theory is presented by Freedom Forever. For the latest news and updates in the solar industry, subscribe to our newsletter at freedomforever.com. Also, check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Freedom Forever Solar. Freedom now. Freedom tomorrow. Freedom forever. Madden and Mitchell Media.